I cannot swear to you that there is swearing on this show, but there might be. It's the kind of behavior I engage in. It's Thursday, September 20th, 2018. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The latest that we know is Dr. Christine Blasey Ford has indicated she, quote, would be prepared to testify next week, and that is if senators offer, again, a quote, terms that are fair and which ensure her safety. So now let's, for a second, and let's do this with sensitivity to the fact that the allegations are disturbing and that the stakes are profound, but let us just talk tactics. Dr. Ford, Dr. Blassie, she's called in the New York Times. Maybe we'll find that out. Her advisors are playing this very well, I think. If she hadn't tried to maneuver to somewhat favorable circumstances, she'd have been essentially railroaded. Maybe she wouldn't suffer calumny right there by the committee members, but the vote was going to go against her, and it still might. So what she did was she made demands. She made fairer demands. She winds up wrong-footing the opponents. She creates some space to not be treated like she knew she was going to be treated by a process that is run by those for whom her allegations are inconvenient. And I do not know how it will end. You know what else I don't know? I don't know what happened. I don't know the truth of her allegations. And neither do you, and neither does anyone other than three people on this earth. Well, maybe five. There were two extra boys at the party. I know that I've heard people come out and say, I believe the victim. Believe is a word that is hard to disagree with. You can't convict someone for perjury if they say, I believe something. It's a word that actually communicates a faith in something. And I get why people profess their faith. And I understand why people profess their belief, and that's fine. I know why people would believe. I know why people would say they believe. But we have no reason, not faith, no reason to say that this happened, that we know this happened, anything other than we believe this happened. Now, you might be saying, well, I do. That is my belief. That's fine. You might garner some facts. These are are facts that when accusers make things up, they usually go for more dramatic details than the accuser in this case has. These particular allegations also don't have the markings of classic false accusations. I have read that when people do make false accusations, they're normally much more dramatic. And in fact, people have pointed out, it's a fair point, that if she were to falsely accuse, why would she just falsely accuse of an attempted rape? Why wouldn't she actually accuse him of rape? It's just as unprovable and it's more dire. I was talking to a former prosecutor the other day. You know what was compelling to him? The fact that she wants a very full investigation and he doesn't. That, he said, is something he would look at as a prosecutor. I think that's fine too. And today in the New York Times, I read a professor of clinical psychiatry addressing the notion that Ford's or Blassie Ford's memory might be false. And this expert points out that norepinephrine is released during traumatic situations, and that makes memories during those situations sear onto one's consciousness. I don't doubt the science of what he's saying, but really all he's telling us is he's just naming some neurochemicals that give truth to what is obvious, that things that are routine are more easily forgotten than things that are profound. 
But there's a larger point. And let us take all the arguments I laid forth, which are all arguments that would indicate she's not lying, right? One argument is that memories last. Memories during trauma last and are accurate if they're forged during stressful situations. And one is that she's calling for the broader investigation than he is. And one is that it doesn't seem like a false accusation, like other false accusations. You know what that all adds up to? An absence of red flags, which is something. Take that for what it is. It's an absence of signs of lying. But that doesn't make it the truth. Hear me for what I'm saying. We do not know which this is. We do not know if this is true, if this is false, if this is consciously false, if this is a false memory, if this is a total true memory, if this is a true denial. It can also be a false memory, which is causing Brett Kavanaugh to issue his adamant denial. That all could be happening. But everyone who is saying, I believe in the accuser, or I believe in Brett Kavanaugh, cannot come close to a standard of proof. It's not reasonable doubt. It's not clear and compelling. It's not preponderance of the evidence. The accusations and even the denials meet no standard of proof. However, I think of Ronan Farrow. Because Ronan Farrow says that he's often asked, did you believe the women? And what he says is, it's not my job as a journalist to believe the women. It was my job to listen to the women. And that's what he did. And he led us all to a greater understanding. Ronan Farrow has some stature in these matters. I believe we need to listen to this woman. I believe we need to listen to her under what seems to be her reasonable parameters for testimony. We need to listen. We need to listen on her terms. And that seems fair to me. And by the way, that psychiatric expert who wrote about norepinephrine and propanol in his column in today's New York Times, he ends with these words, Dr. Blasey's accusation is credible and deserves a hearing. And that is all we can say. And that is what she should receive. On the show today, I will spiel about the greatest moment in podcast history. It happened last night. But first, Bert Kreischer is a comedian whose jokes are long, winding, often crazy stories where he is the butt of the joke, but not just the butt that is in your face at a Burt Kreischer show. It is the belly. In his new Netflix special, Secret Time, he comes out on stage, whips his shirt off right away. There's Burt right in your face and now right in our studios. Bert Kreischer is America's favorite topless comic. There are moments you can see him perform with his shirt on. That's usually the first 35 seconds of most of his performances. He is now out with a Netflix special where he tells you all his secrets. Hello, Bert. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So if people don't know, 21 years ago, Rolling Stone writes this article about the wildest guy in any college in America. It's you. It's Florida State. And it wasn't exactly a direct progression, but you kind of became well-known and then a comic because of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I said in the article I wanted to try stand-up comedy, and a, a radio station in Tallahassee put together a comedy night. And so it was the first time ever doing comedy for like touring headliners went up before me, each did 20 minutes. I would never do that now. Yeah. Like that's 
a, a recipe for disaster. Oh, so it was built around you. Yeah, it was built because around me. Because you mentioned this and you became, you were well known in Tallahassee, which is the capital yeah. and a big city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, I was <laughs> like, I, like it's interesting. My, my special has been on the cover of Netflix. So people are, Netflix is so big yeah. that people have been saying hi to me a lot. Like in New York, they're like, what's up, Bert? And I'm like, oh, hey, you forget. Like it's everyone, it's in their hands. Oh, just because, because you've done many specials. You did Showtime specials and you've had TV series, but this, this is you're next, saying it's gotten to a next level. Next le- yeah. Netflix is next level. Yeah. It Especially really is. Especially because the, they push it out there and your face is the special. On the cover yes, of yes. Netflix. Yes. For like a week. Yes. But man, when I was after that Rolling Stone magazine, that was fame. That was like legit. I couldn't go anywhere. People like, like it was crazy. But the thing you wanted to do was leverage that into comedy. I wanted, I wa- in all honesty, I wanted, I didn't even know what comedy was. I, I mean, I knew I wanted to do stand up. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to move to New York and I got into comedy. But I think part of me was like, I really didn't understand the business the way I do now, meaning I didn't know that you would do the road. I didn't know that you would be, I don't like flying. I didn't know that I'd be flying around the world doing stand up. I just knew, I'd, I thought you could live in New York and just do stand up. I didn't know that there you was. You can a, if you, your career doesn't go too many places or yeah. if your career has already gone a lot of places. And yeah. then you could just show up to the cellar once in a while. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and so, uh, but then, yeah, yeah, I got in, I moved to New York. I, I did it one time in Tallahassee, moved to New York. And then literally started working the door at this place called the Boston Comedy Club on West Third in between Thompson and Sullivan down in the village. And uh, six months later, uh, Will Smith discovered me. Now, so the interesting thing, if that happened now, I think most people who got that level of notoriety, and it probably wouldn't come from one article in Rolling Stone, but they probably would just want to be famous for being famous. They wouldn't want to actually develop a skill or if you want to call comedy an art. <laughs> I would have easily, easily leveraged any skill for fame. Yeah. I, I, liter- I thought fame was the end goal. Yeah. I thought you wanted to get famous. I remember being on TV and being like, when will I get famous? And and then and it just ne- it, like it never happened. It never like I was on TV the majority of my career, and it just never happened. That's because fame changed. Fame, fame changed, changed since 1997. Drastically, yeah. I mean, drastically changed. And then in the process, I realized, oh, fame's not the goal. So how does fame help you or hurt you these days? My daughter, I talk a lot about my kids in this special. Yeah. And I cleared it with them before, but I don't think they had any perspective of what it was going to be. And how old are they? Uh, 12 and 14. Georgia and Isla? Isla. 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 (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, the other day, special comes out and a guy recognized Isla in the the grocery store. Recognized her? Like he saw me. Oh, right. And then went, oh, Isla. Yeah. And she went, hi. Uh, It freaked her out and then she said we were in the pool and she said i don't want people to know me who i don't know mm. and i went i think that's too late honey that's fame and yeah. i was like and she goes i that makes me uncomfortable and she was and she's mostly talking about it at school too is that kids at school know her and she's like yeah they they're they're watching your netflix special they know things about me that makes that makes me uncomfortable that and i never thought of it that way like that it would be intimate mm-hmm. you know but but I don't know how to do stand-up any other way than to tell you exactly what happens in my life. So part of me is like, well, this is the new path we're on. Yeah. You know? I mean, the piece I did on Conan the other day is so true. It was in my Instagram stories. Was that about your daughter having a period? Yeah, her period yeah. party. <laughs> and then she's like, Dad, I'm fine. Mom gave me a go bag. And I go, well, then what are you calling me for? She was like, I need you to go to the store and get supplies. I'm throwing a period party tonight. 
You never a heard of this? Period? No, why would I? You never heard of this? I've never heard of Dude, that. Dude, this is real. This is real. This, she goes, Dad, I'm throwing a period party. I'm like, yo, I'm like, what's that? She goes, I need you to go to the store and get a red velvet cake. I'm like, <laughs> Dude, all the girls are throwing them, Dad. Red velvet cake and icing so we can name my period. What? Name? They And I go, that's what I said. I go, who names their period? She's like, Georgia named hers after the girl from Progressive Auto Insurance. <laughs> I swear to God. That actually makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, she's like, Dad, please, I got 10 people coming tonight. I go, 10 people? She goes, yeah, eight girls and two boys. I go, who invites boys to a period party? <laughs> she's like, that's the fun of it, Dad. We don't tell them why they're there. <laughs> now I'm like, I'm in. Let's do it. So is that something when your daughter heard it that she objected to? Uh, no. So I, I, I videotaped it on Instagram stories. Yeah. I played it on Instagram stories. That night she came into bed, into the bedroom. And was like, I think I want you to delete it. Uh huh. And I said, really? And she goes, Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I want everyone at school knowing I got my period. I don't know if they'll see yours, but I think you, I, you should delete that. And I said, okay. So then, I went on stage and I set. I, I, I did a bit on stage. And I came back to them and I said, listen, I have a bit about you guys having your period. Are you guys comfortable with me telling that? And they were like, yeah, that's fine. And Isla, her feeling was she thinks everyone should have a period party. She thinks that the way that Georgia reacted to her period yeah. really traumatized and versus her celebrating it. She thinks that's, thinks that's good. My wife watched it with the girls and I said, how are they? I was, getting, I was on the plane and she's mm-hmm. like, they're good. And I was like, hold on, how are they? She's like, they're fine. And then I talked to both of them and they seemed good. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing to my kids. I don't know if I'm fucking them up. I don't know. I just don't know. Well, like five minutes into this new special, you say I'm a I'm a terrible dad. I'm a terrible dad. I legitimate terrible. I'm a I'm whatever the yeah. I'm a horrible dad. Horrible. But I love them. Now I want to ask you something. And this was I listened to your podcast, and you have the regular show where you do a pretty long interview with a comic, and then you have open tabs, which yeah. is just talking about stuff that occurs to you on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, you say you're not a political guy, right? <laughs> I think I'm. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. say that. I don't know if that's accurate, but I say that. But it's hard not to be a political guy these days. So, first of all, do you think a lot of your fans are Trump fans? How do you navigate that? kind of think they might be. Just demographically, demographically I mean, I've looked at the guys in the front row. Yeah. <laughs> they're a bunch of white guys in their 30s and 40s. I think they're either apolitical yeah. or they lean conservative. All right. So I was listening to a few open tabs ago, and I will say this, but I want your reaction. I took issue with how you described the Proud Boys. I thought- <laughs> By the way, yeah. I did. I do too. Okay. I tell do me too. about that. I, I, was, I did not know what they were. Yes. And, and I that was came lear- across on the show. And you admitted at times, yeah. look, I don't know. A guy at, a guy in a show came up to me and- Gave me a Proud Boy coin. Gave you a Proud Boy coin. I with- didn't realize what that was. Yeah. I think I should have definitely uh, taken a backseat on the Proud Boys and Antifa and not thrown my opinion in at all. I was watching fight videos. And, I, and then in watching the fight videos, I started going like- I almost had more respect for the Proud Boys for not covering their faces. And the Antifa guys were like, like I, I was watching them. And then and then I started like, I just got, I, you start getting into it and you're like, wait, I'm not on anyone's side. I don't think anyone should be fighting. And I definitely don't, I'm definitely not a Proud Boy. I'm definitely not Antifa. They're both fucking idiots. Yeah. And But you're right. Have you gone back on one of your shows and talked about that? I haven't only because I, try, I, I tried to stay out of that. Mm-hmm. Everything has gotten so streamlined into politics, like the Louis thing. Mm-hmm. Like everyone has to have opinion. Yeah. 
But that Proud Boy thing, I, yeah, I don't, I don't like. And then they, they'll they'll tell you they're not racist. Well, that's that's their game. Yeah, they're, they're looking, and this is why I worried about it. You know, you the, the word normalize is thrown around a lot, but I would think your show would do a lot more to or to normalize them than a politics show or an article in the Guardian or something like that. Because when you hear someone that's not polarizing, who's not who's not political, not who, political, they. They look up to you. They know you have flaws. But if you're saying, hey, they seem fine and they seem funny, maybe then they do seem fine and funny and, and they're not fine. I don't, you're right. I don't I – don't, I should – the more I stay out of politics, the better this country will be. <laughs> because I literally – I literally Politics do, agrees. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I'm literally yeah. opening up a tab for the first time and then sharing my initial thoughts with it. Yeah. And when you look at those videos – it's they're both they're I think they're both you know yeah well it and it does show their appeal it does show when if people ask how can people join the fact that you opened up the tabs and there was something compelling and it didn't seem overtly racist to you at least maybe that's a window into their appeal thank you for uh, pointing that out all by right the, way. the one last thing I want to ask you about I got the impression that your dad just the way you would talk about him was a blue collar and I wouldn't be able to put my finger on it but if I had to guess I'd say oh, probably not a college graduate, but he's he's a lawyer, right? Yeah, he's a he's a an accomplished lawyer. Yeah, is that did I, did you do you say that? Do you disclose that? No, I don't. Not <laughs> so interesting. I didn't know that. Well, he just seems like a, a hard ass who is more of the kind of guy who's angry at the world and maybe is an out of work machinist type guy. Wow, that's so interesting. No, <laughs> he is a. He has definitely different rules for me than he does my sisters. Mm-hmm. Like, he holds me to a different standard than he does my sisters. Did that help you or hurt you? It helped me a lot. Uh-huh. On my 26th birthday, I was living in New York. I had moved here. I wasn't really um, doing anything with my life. I hadn't gotten the job at the comedy club yet. I was just kind of partying. And it was my birthday. And I was hungover from partying the night before. And he called, and I saw it on the caller ID. And I thought, I'll just answer it real quick and let him say happy birthday to me. And so I picked up the phone, and he was like, I was like, hey. And he was like, I just perjured myself in court. I said, what? He goes, the judge asked how you were doing, and I said, fine, knowing you're not fine. (laughs) He was like, you're a piece of shit. And I go, Dad, it's my birthday. He goes, I don't give a shit. He goes, I've failed you as a father. You have no humility. I've raised a party boy, which is fine. If you're going to be a party boy, be a fucking party boy, but don't tell anyone you're a comic because you're not. You have no humility. And I was like, it was a really aggressive speech. Yeah. And at the end, I remember... I had two roles. I had a normal go-to in my life, which is to become the victim. And uh, I chose not to become a victim and fight with him in that conversation. And I, I, I don't know why, but I said, what, how do I fix this? And he was like, you can't. I said, no, I, I can. I want to. He's like, you can't. I said, Dad, tell me what a man that had humility would do. He goes, a regular guy? Regular guy would go up to that comedy club and say, I'll do whatever I can to get on stage. I go, it doesn't work that way. And he goes, it doesn't work that way for you because you don't have humility. He goes, you walk up to that club and you tell him you'll do anything to get on stage. You'll clean, you'll stack chairs, you'll make burgers, you'll mop up at the end, you'll do anything. So I said, all right, I'll do that tonight. I actually said, I'll do that tomorrow. And he goes, you do that tonight. I said, well, actually, I have a party tonight for myself. (laughs) And he goes, you don't deserve a party. And I was like, okay, I'm doing it tonight. So I went to the club, went to this guy, Louis Schaefer, went up, said, I'll do anything I can, dot, dot, dot. And he said, move back to Florida. And I almost felt victorious. So I was like, I told, I want to call my dad now yeah. and go, This I told you. So I called my dad the next morning, and he said, how did it go? And I said, he told me to move back to Florida, and he goes, perfect. And to go back tonight, and you give him the exact same speech. And when he says, 
Wait, didn't I tell you to go back to Florida? You say, yep, and I'm going to be giving you the speech every night until you give me an opportunity. That's what a humble man would do. So I went back the next night, and I said the same thing, and Louis Schaefer was like, I told you, I got no room for you. I said, listen, man, I'm going to spot. Yesterday was my birthday. My dad's let down on me. He thinks I'm a piece of shit. I'm going to be doing this every single night because that's what my dad says to do. And Lewis was just like, fine, you can work the door. And if we, if you can bring in 20 people on the street, I'll let you up that night. And I was like, for real? And I, that night I started doing comedy. That night it was like my official, it was the day after my 26th birthday. And, uh, and my, I was like, I, I remember, I've told this story a couple times. My dad's always like, it wasn't that bad. And, that, and I, that's probably the way I tell a story is, you know, you heighten things. Sure, sure. But man, the way I remember it, yeah. I'm being kind. Yeah. Like I remember being wanting to cry. And then six months later- Will Smith discovered me. It was the best speech I ever gotten in my entire life. I more people should get those speeches in their lives. Burke Kreischer, his Netflix special, which you've probably seen if you've opened Netflix, or at least his face staring at you, is called Secret Time. It's out now. Great to meet you, Bert. This is the spiel, and this is Jeopardy. And now, here is the host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Some of his games have been runaways. Others, not so good. Here we go, into the Jeopardy round. And now we've... Focus our attention on these categories. Celebrities, fashion lines, world history. Among Time's 50 best podcasts of 2018. Then we have a little bit of this and that. And then we want you to say it three times, each correct response. Hey, where are you going? Why are you coming up in each correct response? Kyle, start. Okay, Kyle, validate us. Make it real. Turn the promise into the actual Choose Podcasts. Choose us. This is the greatest, most validating moment ever for podcasts, even more than when SNL did a serial sketch. Kyle, you have been selected to usher in our new dawn. World History 200. Kyle! World History is the dumbest category they have. World History literally means everything that happened before now. It just means all of it ever anywhere. Kyle, you realize that Time Magazine's list of the 50 best podcasts of 2018, that is a part of world history. All the rest of this shit, it's all world history. You just having picked world history, that is now a part of world history. Way to narrow it down, Kyle. Way to help yourself. Can we get Jordan involved here? Podcast for 200. Yes. The Daily aired an uncomfortable interview between this Fox News host and the reporters who likely got him fired. Jason. Who is Charles Payne, Roger Ailes, Bob Beckel, Bill Shrine, Eric Bowling, or Kimberly Guilfoyle? Nope. Frank. Who is Donald Trump? Nope. Jordan again. Who is Bill O'Reilly? Yes. Podcast for 400. Endless Thread had Boston's WBUR and this website go beyond the front page of the internet to get deeper into stories. Jason? What is Gateway Pundit? No. Frank? What is Pornhub? No. Jonathan? What is the New York Times? No. Jordan or Kyle? What is Reddit? Back to you, Jordan. Podcast for 600. 
Using an entire season to discuss each song on one album, dissect, dissected to pimp a butterfly by this rap star. Frank. Who is Biz Marquis? Nope. Jason? Who is Rappin' Rodney? Nope. Jordan? Who is Kendrick Lamar? Correct. Podcast for 800. A spin-off of this ESPN's numerical award-winning documentary series was deemed worth a listen. Frank? What is Stephen A. Smith yells at you for 90 minutes? Nope. Jason? What is around two horns? Nope. Jordan? What is 30 for 30? Good. Podcast for a thousand. With a knack for explaining complex legal issues with simple language, stay tuned with Preet. Preet being this ex-U.S. attorney. Jason? Who is the U.S.A.G.O.G., the original gangster, Preet Bharara? Nope. You said gangsters instead of gangstas on that. Frank? Who is Preet Beauregard Sessions? Nope. Jonathan? Who is Bharara? Good. And then the contestants went on to world history and other just totally irrelevant things. So like I said, this was, last night on Jeopardy!, the greatest moment in this medium. The next watershed will be when Insure and Lee Press on Nails begin advertising on Slow Burn, and then when Serial comes out with a copy of the home game. That's it for today's show. Who are Daniel Schrader and Pierre Bienname? Why, they're the GIST producers, and the category is fun. TJ Raphael is the senior producer of Slate Podcasts, she sits next to Pierre, who you may know as Frank. Great job. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. He's angling to get a few Slate Podcasts on Wheel of Fortune. Uh, what is the Slate culture lap dance? The gist. I too was appalled when family secrets were unveiled on Conan. But since that time, I've come to believe that every family has their own gaseous wiener. And until we start talking about it, we all think we're alone. And we hope someone cracks a window. Umpuru de Peru du Peru, and thanks for listening.